0: Good morning. I want to welcome all of you to worship. We're glad that you guys are here. Glad that we can continue on with this coming home teaching series that we are in. This is a uh, series where we're looking at one part of one chapter of the gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 15. And it's a passage of scripture that, as we talked about last week, is commonly referred to as the parable of the prodigal son, okay? Now, the parable of the prodigal son is... A story, and if you were here last week, you heard us talk about the first part of it. It's a story that Jesus tells, and and essentially the story is that there is a father with two sons. The youngest of the sons goes to him one day and says, I wish you were dead. I wish you were dead because I know what will make me happy, I know what my life should be about. I don't need you and your morality and your religion and everything else. If I could choose my own path, then my life would be much better off. And so the reason, the thing that's keeping me from happiness is your existence. Because as long as you're here, I don't have access to money. I can't do the things that I want to do. I have to follow your rules. I have to do the responsibilities. I have to be in this house. I have to have the values and the, uh, at least the appearances that go along with it. And so if you were just out of the picture, I can't tell you how much better off my life would be because I could finally be happy. Because I know what will make me happy. I know my rights and I know myself and I will be in charge of of what is best for me. As we said last Sunday, there was this this amazing, miraculous response of the father to this this younger son. Because the father takes 50% of all that he has, all of his money, all of his wealth, all that has been inherited in the family through the generations. You think about this, he takes 50% of it and instead of waiting His younger son having to wait till he dies to inherit it. He just gives him the 50%, no strings attached, and says, "There, go be happy. Go be happy. And so the younger son goes and says he goes to a distant country. He can do whatever he wants to do. And like every single one of us who has ever in big ways or small ways followed this path, the younger son has a hard lesson to learn which is that having your ideas and your morality and your truth and your things that are right seems so appealing and promising, but they are so much better in promise than they are in reality. Religion's not about rules for the sake of rules. It's the creator looking at us going, I'm telling you, this is how you'll come alive. And we're like, yeah, no, I don't think I need that part of the Bible. I'm too enlightened for it. That's just not the section that is my truth. It could be someone else's truth, might be Rob's truth. It's not my truth though. Rob has his truth, I have my truth, we'll just pick our truths. Seems so appealing. And yet the promise of it does not give life. It leads us to a place where we are friendless, where we are alone, where we are isolated, where the world has kind of come crashing in on us. And that's what happens to this younger son. He blows all of the money. It's not as fun as he thinks it's gonna be. It's not as wonderful. And in the end, he is by himself. And he says as he is starving to death, let me go home and see if my dad will allow me to come back, having blown half of the family fortune. And let me just see if he'll hire me as a servant so that I don't die. And when he comes back and his father sees him, as we read last week, this amazing response. The father runs to his son and embraces him and gives him the finest robe that the house has left and the nicest ring that he can find. And they throw a party and they kill the fatted calf, which is the nicest food that they have. And they celebrate because this son is back fully accepted as the son of the father, not as a slave, not as a servant. Now, as many of us know, we ask the question to consider this week is what does it mean to identify where that younger son lives in us? Because he does. He lives in every single one of you. I hope that this week you've been able to see certain parts. You're like, yeah, I got it. I'll just kind of do this my way. And ask ourselves the questions like, what's God's design for this? How do I live under the idea that God has designed my life to work certain ways? How do I, how do I pay attention to that to come more alive and how I handle things? But also, this is not just the story of the prodigal. That's how it's become commonly known, the story of the prodigal. In the Bibles that we have around campus here, the the heading doesn't say the parable of the prodigal son. The heading in the Bibles around covenant say uh, the parable of the prodigal and his brother. And this week, we're not going to talk about the prodigal. We're going to talk about his older brother, the one that we often don't spend as much time on. We're gonna bring the scripture passage up here. And again, we're gonna ask the question, how does this older brother, this older son live in each of us? Because he's a part of every one of us in some way or another. Luke 15, starting in verse 25. Now his older son was in the field. And when he came and approached the house, he heard music and dancing. And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fatted calf because he's received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. And his father came out and began pleading with him. But he answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I have been serving you and I have never neglected a command of yours. And yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son... You have always been with me and all that is mine is yours, but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that you would speak to all of us here today, we pray, of your good news. We trust in this and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. To be clear... If we're being honest, it's really understandable why this older brother's upset, right? Every one of us has been probably in many positions where you felt angry or resentful or bitter about how someone else was being treated and you felt like you weren't getting what was due and you're like, I'm right. And at some level we would look at this passage and go, "It's I understand why the other brother's angry, right? Think about it in these terms. Think about it in your family, that if you have a sibling who did this and went to your dad, who you love, and said, I wish you were dead, that would, number one, make you angry. You'd be like, you can't talk to our parents that way. You might feel it at a time, but you don't say that out loud. That's not how it works. And so, and then your father responds to that by giving 50% of the family fortune, right? 50% of everything I have, I give. And the brother goes off and makes every bad decision, and kind of destroys everything in all different kinds of ways. And you do everything right. You follow all the rules. And then you come in from a hard day's work one day, and there's a party going on for your brother who's returned. Now, if I am that older brother, there is a piece of me, and and you can pray for me, and I guarantee I need prayer in all different kinds of ways that would sit there and go, okay, let's see. So we gave him 50%. He blew it all and he came back and we gave him the nicest robe and we gave him the nicest ring and jewelry in the family and we gave him the nicest food and then we threw a huge party, probably cost a lot of money to have all of our neighbors and everyone else here. Whose 50% did that come out of? That's right, it's mine. Right, it's like, that would be the part for me, the one who's done everything right, the rule follower, the good one. You remember the one that has never abandoned you or wished you were dead or squandered your money? That one, you are now compensating and rewarding him from the part that's supposed to even be for me. Like seriously, I mean, it is really understandable. And yes, is it a perfect response? No. Yes, he kind of seems spoiled, he stays outside of the party, he doesn't go in, he's not very nice to his dad, it probably brought some public embarrassment, but really is it that big of a deal? Is it that big of a deal? That's what we're gonna ask today. As we did last Sunday, we're gonna look at this in two different ways. Number one is, is it really a big deal? And number two, if it's a big deal, what do we do about it, being this elder son? Number one, is it a big deal? Number two, if it is a big deal, what do we do about it, how do we come home. If we're honest, it might not seem like that big of a deal. The response to the elder son, This is Mother's Day. I hope you know that. <laughs> if you don't know that, you don't have much time, but you better get working after the service to get some things done. Today is Mother's Day. And if for the moms that are here, grandparents or aunts or babysitters or people who have younger children that you care for, if you heard that your child was gonna go one of these two paths, either the dutiful rule follower who does everything right, or the prodigal who goes off and creates all kinds of destruction and wastes money, most of us, probably all of us here today, would be like, I choose the rule follower. Right? That's who I want. I'm not saying it's perfect, not saying there's not flat sides to it, but if we're gonna have one of these two paths going, on, I would love that path, right? It's, it's like far less destructive to them. It's gonna be far less destructive to other people. It seems a lot less expensive than, you know, than the path where they're blowing 50% of everything. It feels like it's a lot less drama and public embarrassment and public shame. Is it perfect? No. But let's be clear, we're, we want the rule of law. That's what we want church to be, right? Church is supposed to teach our kids how to follow the rules. So to, to, to teach them to not go be the prodigal. That's what it's supposed to do. Keep us on the straight and narrow. Jesus talks about straight and narrow. That's what it's supposed to be. How do we do that? I want to submit to you today that it is a huge deal. And that if we really stop and think about it, I'm not certain of the two paths that this is just clearly the better one we would want for ourselves or for our children. Henry Nowen writes about this. We're going to bring uh, one of his quotes up here right now. He talks about the the lostness of the older brother. And this is what he says. He says, the lostness of the elder son is much harder to identify. After all, he did all the right things. He was obedient, dutiful, law-abiding, and hardworking. People respected him, admired him, praised him, and likely considered him a model son. Other parents were going, someday, we wish you were more like that. Outwardly, the elder son was faultless, but when confronted by his father's joy at the return of his younger brother, a dark power erupts in him and boils to the surface. Suddenly, there becomes glaringly visible a resentful, proud, unkind, selfish person, one who had remained deeply hidden, even though it had been growing stronger and more powerful over the years. I wonder what does more damage, lust or resentment? There is so much resentment among the just, And the righteous. There is so much judgment, condemnation, and prejudice among the saints. There is so much frozen anger among the people who are so concerned about avoiding sin. This is what now is right about This is how he's starting to describe the lostness of the elder son in all of us. And I want to use this text for a minute to try to convince you that, yes, it seems like the more logical choice that this might be the better way to go. But being and pursuing and teaching others just to be the eldest son, the rule follower, the dutiful, successful one, has all kinds of destruction in and of itself. Number one, is it a big deal? Well, the text says it is. Why? Well, first off, there's like internal stuff about the elder son that's just not very fun. Like you read this parable and there's a part of the younger son that not that you approve of it, but it's like almost refreshing to have someone going, I'm just gonna do it, do my thing, right? It's not that you want it, but there's a part of you that can at least resonate with, I don't know, now writes that it's sometimes even like a, a, a jealousy. It's like, I sometimes wish I could just do, like just be like, I'm just doing my thing. I'm not worried about the implications or how people are gonna look at me anymore. But there's a coldness to this older son. It's a coldness that should bring a chill to us if we say this is the path we'd rather have people choose. You see it, for example, in the loss of joy and fun and spontaneity in the older brother. Now, think about this. Think about this from the text we read. The older brother returns from a day out, working in the fields. And you're going, yeah, well, it's understandable he was upset because of his younger son being welcomed back the way he was. But if you think about it, the older brother has a coldness to him that shows up before he knows his younger brother's there. He comes in from the field and he hears that there's a party going on inside the house that was not planned, that was not on the schedule, that he had not been made sure he was invited to, that he didn't understand what it was about, and is his first response to go in there and say, hey, what's the great thing? What's going on? Why are we celebrating? No. His initial response is to stay outside and to go to one of the slaves and go, what's happening here? What's going on? Why is there a party going inside? Was this on the books? Was this scheduled? Was this a calendar event? I didn't get invited, what does that say about me? What's going on here? His first response is not to go inside assuming the best. His first response is, this is not how today is supposed to work. This was not how the rules of today were supposed to happen. There is a loss of joy and fun and spontaneity in this older brother that slowly happens and corrodes our hearts over time, and we see it here. I don't know about any of you, but as I get older, this is something I think about for myself. This is something I worry about myself. The people who know me and care about me would probably say I am less spontaneous and less fun than 15 years ago. That that gives me pause. Right, And I can sit there and look at him like, yeah, but I've got responsibilities now, right? I can't just go willy nilly through life, right? I got like a mortgage that has to get paid and we've got health insurance and um, we have to have staff meeting and we have things. I don't get to come into Covenant as the head of staff and just walk into a staff meeting whenever I feel like it. Just like, hey guys, what's going on? I'm just kind of like laid back and having fun. Doesn't work that way. I lose my job, we lose everything. It's not good. That's not gonna be serving my family, which I'm called to do. And so we've got things and we've got agendas and we've got discipline and we've got goals and we've gotta work through that and yet, In the midst of those things, all of which seem right in the moment, there is a hardening of one's heart to spontaneity, to fun, and to joy. Is that what we want for the people we love? We see it already in this elder son. There are internal consequences that make you go, oh, I don't think that's what I want for someone I love. But there's also external consequences. Take, for example, what happens when we start living this way that the breakdown that we see in relationships that's here. You see, when your goal is to be the good one, the successful one, the rule follower, the one that people look at going, oh, Michael nicely, model, perfect, you know, wonderful guy, perfect husband, great kids, everything must be wonderful for him, when we kind of enjoy that, when, we, when that comes to describe us, then what happens in that moment is that others become our competitors. They become the measuring stick with which we look at ourselves and discern that others look at us, right? And so we sit there and all of a sudden, other people are not people we can just be happy for or in relationship with, they're our competitors. Because if they're doing really well, that reflects poorly on us. You know that piece of you, and we're not supposed to admit it out loud, but that piece of us when someone, maybe even someone in our family struggles, and that little bit of you that likes it, You know what I'm talking about? That little bit of you that's like, I knew they weren't that great. I mean, you don't say it out loud, and that might not even be the majority of what you feel, but there's that little bit of you that enjoys kind of going, I don't struggle with that. I don't don't know what that says. I'm not making what it says. I'm just saying, I don't struggle with it. You can determine what you will from that, right? That's what starts happening. All of a sudden, other people are seen as the competition. They're no longer seen out of relationship or serving one another or love or intimacy. They become distant from us. We see it in this passage. One of the most chilling parts in the entire Bible is found in this passage. When the father comes out of the party and engages his older son and his other older son looks at him and says, you've never done anything for me. You've never even given me a goat to have a party with my friends because that would be a great party as long as we had a goat, Right? <laughs> You've never done anything for me, but when this son of yours returned, you killed the fatted calf. Look at what's happened, guys, to this older rule follower. It's no longer my brother, it's this son of yours. I don't know that there could be anything more heartbreaking for a parent to hear than for one sibling to say that about their brother or sister. I don't longer see them as my relation. They're my competitor and you're doing this wrong. Is that a big deal? Yeah. You know when Jesus is asked the question, what's the most important commandment? How are we gonna come alive? He says the most important commandment is to love, is to love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says, if you're not doing that, if you're not loving and serving other people, you're missing the entire point. John Ortberg writes about this, and we've talked about this before, about one of the most common regrets that people have at the end of their life is that they were too busy succeeding to pay attention to the relationships God had placed in their life. You know how you come that at the end of your days? You follow the path of the elder son. That's how you get there. Because you're so worried about making the right decisions and doing everything right and getting ahead and being seen for who you are and being responsible and being, being dutiful. That Actually, some of the richest gifts of life pass us by and we don't realize it until it's too late. Friends, this is one of the hardest passages of scripture. Because what we realize and are confronted with here is that the younger son says from the beginning I am doing everything that I want to do. And the older son makes every decision the right way and both of them wind up being as lost as one another. That can lead us to a feeling of despair, like well, what's the point then? What's the point in trying to be good? What's the point in following rules? Who cares then? If they both just wind up as lost, why, why, why do we care about any of this? What's the, what's the point? The second of the quotes we're going to look at from now on today addresses this, talks about this. He says this, he says, The more I reflect on the older son in me, the more I realize how deeply rooted this form of lostness really is and how hard it is to return home from there. Returning home from a lustful escapade seems so much easier than returning home from a cold anger that has rooted itself in the deepest corners of my being. My resentment is not something that can be easily distinguished and dealt with rationally. It is far more pernicious. Listen to this. Something that has attached itself to the underside of my virtue. Isn't it good to be obedient? Isn't it good to be dutiful, law-abiding, hard-working, and self-sacrificing? Isn't that what we teach our children to do? Isn't that right? And still it seems that my resentments and complaints are mysteriously tied to such praiseworthy attitudes. This connection often makes me despair. It seems that wherever my virtuous self is, there also is the resentful complainer. Nowen says that when he looks at this, the idea that the one did everything wrong and the one did everything right and they wind up equally lost. And in fact, when you look at this passage, the younger son at least comes back. The parable ends, and we have no idea if the older son does. He writes here, it might be harder for the elder son to actually come back from his lostness. Is it a big deal? Yeah, it's an enormous deal, living as the elder son. So how do we come home? What does that look like? What is the gospel? What is the good news in this story? If it's not, here's what you do. Leave here today and make these choices differently and then everything will be okay. We're saying make the right choices, even in trying to do it for the right reasons, and you'll still wind up lost. Where's the good news in all of this? It's here. It's in this very simple fact this part of the story that seems so normal and yet it is so powerful that I want it to resonate in your mind and your heart as you are here today. And and it's this, that as the older son stands outside the party full of self-righteous bitterness, the father leaves the party and pursues him anyway. This is huge. We might not see it in our culture today, but at the time they lived in a culture of honor and shame. If the father threw a party and one of his sons stood outside and refused to come in, it would be the same as if he walked into the party and slapped his dad in the face in front of everybody. It was a sign of absolute disrespect. And all of the guests and everyone there, when they knew that the older son was outside, they would have all been talking and gossiping about how the older son had brought shame on the family. And does that stop the the father? Does that cause him to get angry? Does it cause him to give in to righteous indignation himself, even though he could seem have a right to? No, he leaves the party immediately without missing a beat and goes out to his son and meets him where it is to say to him, you are just as loved As well. This is the good news. The gospel is not about teaching rules and morality to make the right decisions. The church is not a dispenser of rules at its core. When it's at its best, it's a dispenser of grace. And this is what we have to understand over and over and over again of where the gospel is here. When I became a Christian 17 years ago, this was the most simple truth that at the time was so hard for me to understand. And if I'm being really honest, I'm sure there, are, there, there actually are a lot of days today where I'm still not sure and I believe that this is true. The idea that God loves all of me The idea that God sees me just as I am. The good parts, the parts I want on a resume, the parts that I want people to respect, the charitable parts, the selfless parts, as well as the parts that I keep hidden, as well as the parts that are selfish, as well as the parts that are envious, as well as the parts that that, um, I would be embarrassed for any of you to know, that God sees all of that and says, Thomas, Daniel, you are my beloved. And you've earned none of it. It is because I declare it to be so. It is so powerful, and I'm not certain I actually sometimes think it's true. Because everything in our world says that to have something, you have to earn it. This is my hope for each of you. My hope for each of you is that today, as you are here, You have no secrets from God. There is no part of you that God does not see fully. And God looks at you today and says that you are the beloved. Hallelujah. And amen. Let's pray. Lord, we ask this day, that you would be with us, that you would help us to see the good news in this passage that we are declared worthy. Help us to identify this older son as it lives in each of us. And may we be swept off our feet by your love for us this day. May we feel in our souls, your arms wrapped around us right now, declaring us your beloved. May we come home to the one place that we can truly come home to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.